Welcome to another episode of Cinema Bushido, brought to you by your friends Matthew and Lee from Analog Mayhem. Tonight, we are going to talk about a movie that is dear to me. I've loved it since it originally came out, and I saw it in the theater, and then I had the VHS tape and eventually the DVD. Uh, it is Highlander from 1986. Uh, he, here with me is Lee. Lee, uh, how are you doing tonight? Hey, good evening, buddy. Just a little sick, but uh, getting drunk and uh, happy to be with you again. You're, you're the third most handsome man in the world, and it's always a pleasure to discuss cinema with you. And isn't that the way to do it? Whenever I'm sick, I uh, drink a little of what I think they call it grandpa's cough medicine. Grandpa, That's how yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I feel it helps. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it makes the suffering more palpable. I feel like uh, all the times I've been sick in my life, um, there's either the sickness that comes from uh, consuming too much alcohol or there is the not enough alcohol. You're a wise man. (laughs) I'm also an alcoholic. So, that said, uh, alcoholics unite. Uh, You know, on the last podcast, I put in the description, I don't know if you agreed with this, but I said a drunkard's and an anarchist view of Zadoichi and Blind Fury. Uh, Do you consider yourself, I I just threw that out there, but because I kind of know a little bit about your leaning, but do you consider yourself an anarchist? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's a great question. I I feel like if if we can get to the point where anarchists are token anarchists, then we've we've really made a real big move in the world. Because right now we're somewhere between like the esoteric understanding of the movement of the stars and, you know, uh, epigenetics. You know, no one knows anything about anarchy. But, yeah, yeah, I, I am an anarchist uh, by choice. And, uh, no, it's it's more about volunteerism versus coercion. Oh. When I went to the liquor store today, I could pick any bottle of whiskey that I wanted. And there's a million different bottles. And I, if I find that – if I think a bottle isn't worth, you know – $25, then I'm not going to pay for it. Oh, sure. And then if I do think a bottle's worth 25 bucks, I will pay for it. And I value the the bottle of whiskey more than I value the 25 bucks. And the liquor store owner values the the bottle, the, the money more than the bottle of whiskey. So we both win. I love it's it. A, yeah. A voluntary exchange. Whereas every decree by government is through coercion, like, or else. Ultimately, it's like at the, at, at gunpoint is essentially what they, what you would say, but uh, where, where I, it's not like I don't believe that there should be laws. I just think that laws should be like should develop naturally in like an organic way through people coming together and um, and freely deciding what the law should be. I'll buy that. Yeah. Okay. So um, switching that over to okay, I don't want to you know again politics whatever they're boring and they suck for most people and who cares and people believe their own stuff and I yeah. know you for a long time. Uh, Lee and I, uh, we have spent many a night uh, sitting on a uh, uh, chat system where we just chat about things. So I, I just wanted a little clarity on that. And I think it's, it's nice to know. Um, but let's talk about Bushido for a second. So Bushido literally means the way of the warrior. And yeah. I didn't intend for Cinema Bushido to just be about Japanese samurai movies. There are a lot of those. And I would have a fucking fantastic time just talking about them all the time. But it's such a niche thing that I, there's so much other stuff I like. So the way, uh, this Bushido way, it's about loyalty. It's about being frugal. It's about honoring master. You know, it's about martial arts in some cases. You'll see that there are a lot of interesting things like that. This Bushido thing, it's, it comes from this 
different system than what we have in the U.S. of uh, this feudal system. And anyway, not to go off on a, a huge tangent there, but when I talk about cinema Bushido, I talk about things that follow really, really, I just sum it up with badass movies. I mean, it's things that I loved, what they did. They should, these movies should be mostly flawless if they truly fall into the cinema Bushido. That's not all we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about shit films sometimes because uh, we're trying to make a point and that's why we're talking. But that said, um, Highlander. Highlander is not a samurai movie. It is not a, a Bushido movie, but it is, it, it, it as a coincidence, has a man with a samurai sword. I don't know if it's really a coincidence. It just, maybe I just like what I like. And here we are. Um, next uh, next podcast, next episode of our podcast is going to be uh, whatever you choose, Lee, and uh, we're going to focus on that and its you know pros and cons. Um, that said, what do you think? Well, I think uh, you know uh, in the Aesop's fable, the the scorpion uh, gets right across the pond from the frog, and the frog's like, "Hey, don't sting me!" And scorpion's like, "I won't." So the frog offers to help him out get him across the, the, the pond and midway through the scorpion stings the frog and, uh, and, and the frog's like, why did you do that? We're going to die as they're sinking into the pond. And the scorpion's like, it's in my nature. And uh, I feel like somehow, some way you and the sam- you and the blade of the samurai are bound together in your nature. It's, like, <laughs> it's your disposition. I mean, I didn't catch it. And, 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 and then I watched it the second time and I was like, wait a minute. Ramirez has a samurai sword from 500 BC. Ghost is struck again. <laughs> there we go. But uh, no, it's a it's a um, it's a beautiful flick. I I mean, I'm cur- I want to I'm curious like what because there's a lot of you. I mean, you're it's like you have very narrow tastes. So I'm curious, um, what about this film makes it your favorite? Okay. Just off the- Let's just start from the beginning because I wanted to, I, I this is something I have known this by heart since I was in uh, high school. From the dawn of time we came, <laughs> moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering where the few who remain shall battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you until now. Then the perfect thing. Here we are. I mean, Queen. Dude, I mean, it's the greatest opening of any film. I mean, I've never seen an opening to a film that's better than Highlander. You get Sean Connery on the voiceover, and you follow it up by a badass. Now, if you've listened to the whole song of uh, Princes of the Universe, you'll know that the best pieces were used in the movie Highlander. It gets a little, I mean, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it gets a little queenie as things go on. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I kind of feel like that um, that kind of uh, that night and day distinction is also reflected in the intro, where you have like the the very like industrial and uh, dystopian kind of dark and drear modern times, and then the flashbacks to like I don't know fifteen thirty eight where it's like bright and sunny and simple and beautiful and ornate, uh, and I feel like those two the 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 flashbacks and then current time kind of reflect that same kind of idea of like the two polar opposites coming together, two different sides of the spectrum where you have Sean Connery with a very like solemn and noble um, uh, elaboration of the origins of the story. And then you have Queen coming in there 
with that beautiful uh, Freddie Mercury just lighting it up with passion and heart and, and a sense of irreverence. He was a beautiful man, and you said it. So the opening credit's great. It switches, you said it, this light and darkness. I've never really thought about it in that way, but you summed it up, light and darkness. He's sitting there in, um, what's it called, the, the famous... Square Garden. Madison Square Garden. So he's sitting in Madison Square Gardens, and he's watching wrestling, of all things. And as he watches these guys bash each other and showboat and stuff, he gets flashbacks of himself in Scotland and in battles and stuff. Um, what's interesting about that, so, I, so this was written by a gentleman named Gregory Wyden. I read the screenplay to Highlander just a few years ago. That was originally meant to be hockey, but he felt it didn't like it didn't fit. Like, you know, it's not really so American as WWF. So hockey may have been weird, but hockey's way more violent in a real way and way more like that battlefield, right? You get up close, people are knocking each other's teeth out. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that was kind of a... I didn't realize that that wasn't intentional because I thought it was kind of a cruel irony that the beautiful backdrop of uh, the Highlands has, like, the most violent form of death possible, which is death by sword, you know? And whereas, like, in Madison Square Garden, in that kind of dystopian, loud, dark uh, environment, it's like fake, you know, wrestling with guys who, you know, who are obviously on steroids and have really bad hair. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't know it was fake back then. I think 86, it was still under the radar. Like, anyone with a mind would have known it was fake. But we still thought, oh, they're wrestling. I mean, it's a, it's an ancient art, right? Of like going on the on the mat and talking to each other as you're about to do acrobatic flips, you know, with a spring underneath you and a little bit of foam. I mean, it's tale as old as time, buddy. Yeah. So so hockey would have been it, and sm people smashing each other's teeth out. I don't know Gregory Wyden's taste. He must uh, really love going to Canada and uh, watching these Canadians uh, bash each other. I know there's probably a big hockey thing in the U.S. Queen. I don't know how many soundtracks they've done, but I believe Highlander is one of the only like full soundtracks they've ever done. Um, they did add some stuff into other movies. There was this movie, 1986, and you'll have to fill in some details here. It was called Iron Eagle, and Iron Eagle, um, it had Luke Gossett Jr. in it, and they were like fighter pilots. It was like right on the coattails of, uh, what's it called, you know, Tom Cruise and... Uh, Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun. You know, you can tell how much I love those movies. I love films from that period, but uh, obviously I never, like, typical little boy got into the super jets blowing each other up until I finally flew one in Grand Theft Auto and learned how badass it feels to blow people up with my um, heat-seeking missiles, as Malcolm McDowell would call them. Um, so have you ever seen Iron Eagle, first off? A long, long time ago. I mean, I was really uh, young, and it's probably a poor reflection on my parents that I saw it when I did. <laughs> well, so yeah, it was like uh, some young badass. Uh, I don't remember who it was. Um, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, his you know mentor was uh, Louis Gossett Jr. He was a badass in the 80s. Uh, I don't know what he's doing still in this case. Please, still is, man. Is he? I'm glad to hear that. I haven't seen him in a long time. Like, if there were people that I would fashion an altar of, Louis Gossip Jr. would probably be in the top 20 to 25. He was a beautiful man. Enemy Mine? I loved that movie. He was in An Officer and a Gentleman? Oh, God, he was just so good. I can't think of the last thing I've seen him in, though. Like, 
what, what do you know? What do you know? I feel like the last thing I'm going to see him in is like uh, the end of days. He's going to be like one of the four horsemen, you know? Oh, yeah. Majestic. He's going to lend a lot of like prestige to it that otherwise wouldn't be there. Yeah, I'll buy that. So, yeah, Lou Gossett, badass man. Um, we agree. Uh, Queen did a song in that movie, One Vision. It was a really cheesy song. I mean, aren't all Queen songs pretty cheesy? But in Highlander, they didn't only do Princess of the Universe. They did um, They did some of the like side music, just sort of like soundtrack music. And they also did uh, Who Wants to Live Forever, which is, well, yeah. It's so worthwhile if you go on YouTube. You can find them doing it live, and it is fucking gorgeous. Who dares to live forever? You know, made all that more punctually um, important and beautiful by a man who has HIV and is going to die from his lifestyle. Yeah, that's a, it's a beautiful and passionate and succinct way to express uh, something that would – a height that most of us will never actually experience as we live our quiet lives of desperation as it's been penned before. No, yeah, it's true. Okay, so we get into Highlander. We got that through that intro. Um, I uh, posted something on our blog a couple weeks ago about how I had a really hard time finding the U.S. theatrical release of Highlander. Um, I think what I sent to you, yeah, I, I sent you a copy. It was uh, I sent you my VHS copy. I mean, my DVD copy, so you could watch that. But that DVD copy was the um, director's cut version. And that version has a bunch of weird stuff that wasn't in the original U.S. theatrical release. Now, you hadn't seen it back in the old days, so it didn't really matter. But there were certain things. I I wonder if you felt they were weird. Um, I'll throw a couple of them out there, and you can just kind of give me your input on it. So first off, in the original U.S. theatrical version, um, they're in the parking garage, and it's uh, Fazil against uh, Connor McLeod. And, you know, they're fighting a bit, and, you know, swords get lost, and he has to get it from under a car. There's a particular point, and it's actually really laughable. Like, you, you LOL. And I, I think that's why they pulled it from, like, the U.S. version. Um, Fazil starts doing all these backflips across the parking garage, like, randomly. Like, Conor McLeod's, like, hiding behind a car, and he's trying to get his sword back. And you could just watch Fazil going, like six backflips for no fucking good reason. I mean, it's impressive. It's an impressive feat of uh, physical prowess, especially uh, if you were to assume it wasn't like, you know, it was, it wasn't a stunt double, but actually the old man. Uh, But uh, yeah, I felt it was excessive, especially on the heels of a very subtle, brilliant camera shot where they show um, the action through the, through the aviator's lenses on the ground. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He drops his uh, his his okay. uh, motorcycle cop classes, and you watch some of the action. Brilliant, brilliant piece of, of of film, followed up by like, well, I paid this guy x amount of dollars to come out for that day and do backflips, and goddamn it, it's going to be on the, in the movie. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right, and I never thought about that. Um, in the original, he flips like twice, and it's still weird, and and, and it's preceded by such a sad scene. Connor walks out there, and you can feel there was another immortal in the, in the room. And he says, Fazil, wait. And then Fazil wouldn't wait. So they instantly go into trying to slice each other apart. Yeah, I, I thought it was a very... Um, I, actually, there was a lot of things I liked about that scene. 
Um, I like the fact that it's like fuck your recycling in the beginning with the Coca Cola on the ground. He steps on it, you know, what I'm <laughs> fuck you, man. And then like I like the jeans and the trench coat, you know, very 1980s. And then um, I like the fact that they pan in and they have a beautiful garage full of really nice cars. And then I love the fact that they're actually going to do practical effects. So they're actually going to do practical effects throughout the whole the whole scene. And it's not like obvious. So there's a scene when they're sword fighting and the, the blade hits um, a steam pipe and it's unintentional. And you didn't see that coming. You, you didn't see it coming unless you've seen the movie. And, uh, and there's like a real, you know, reaction from it and, and, and the way that the blade cuts through the concrete pillar. I, I thought it was a really, outside of the flipping, um, I thought it was a really brilliantly done, uh, action sequence preceded by, uh, really, uh, phenomenal practical effects. And it's, it, you know, in today's world, it's really rare that we get to, we get to see practical effects anymore. Oh, I agree. And I, um, I've changed my tune. Back when I first – I bought the director's cut for $50 from this place in Denver, Colorado. They were called Starland, and they were somewhere out in Aurora. And I had to go find this place, and it was in a strip mall in, like, an industrial area. It wasn't nice at any rate. And I went in, and they had it. This VHS tape of the international copy is what they called it at the time. And when I first watched it, I, I was super excited to find out um, about oh, Rachel. But I'm starting it out, and I'm like, okay, what's different? You know, like, I'm getting all excited. And for the first thing that happens, for Fazil to just, like, backflip like a fucking idiot, this time, watching it years later, I haven't watched Highlander probably in a, I don't know, probably eight to ten years. I actually laughed out loud, and I could think about maybe what they were trying to do for an international audience. Like, it's a pretty dark thing, and that just seemed hilarious. Yeah, you know, it's like the movie routinely tries to be serious, and so it's weird to see something be, you know, it's got it's got the ninety the nineteen eighties kind of edgy humor, kind of like a reverence about it, um, but uh, at the same time, that kind of it, it's so silly that it takes you out of the moment in an otherwise really gripping uh, fight sequence. Okay, and that would be the difference between the the old version and the new version. Really, if you sum them up, there's not a lot of LOL moments in the original. There are the moments um, like, what are you going to do? Turn off the tape or shoot me with the forty-five? you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't so LOL. And they, there, were, there were a lot of those. I won't go crazy on them because this is not a contrast the two. But the dumbest parts were, of course, um, Rachel's background. And, you know, he saves her uh, Nazi Germany. Yeah. And the guy jumps up and for some reason it's just like, hey, you, you know, like, you can't do that. And he's like... It's what it's exactly what I posted in the, in the, in our you know on our blog. He's like, whatever, man, you're the master race. And then he you know gets shot to shit and he kills him and that's it. Whatever, just dumb. So, what do you think of Christopher Lambert's accent? So he's a Scottish man, right? And allegedly, yeah, and he's lived forever. We know him for real as a Frenchman, and he's always had a very interesting accent. I followed his career. To a T. There are some French movies I haven't watched of his because I don't know French and they never subtitled or or I wouldn't even want to watch over it up, but they have they never made him available to me. But I've followed him along, you know, his whole career. And what I've always thought about him is his accent is just it doesn't sound to me French. And maybe because I've I've always known him, I don't know what that sounds like. He just sounds interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna sum it up in one word and I can't understand why. 
but I kept coming to the same word. I've labored over it uh, with like you know careful contemplation, but it, sometimes when there's there, when there are sequences with him, and I've seen him in other movies, the only thing I can think of is autism. Like I, I'm sorry. Like they, they, sometimes I'm like, is this is he autistic? Is he an autistic kid that's acting? Just I just feel like he's. Like there's something there's something that that evades my very limited uh, ability to describe the world about him that I just align automatically with autism, and uh, especially when you mention the the scene with the forty five and the camera angle, and he's like, <laughs> "I like your place, Brenda," and he's got the forty five in his hand. <laughs> he's got like this like very simple. Uh, it's not like he's a dullard, but it's also not like he's expressive. Right. And he's just, got like this like kind of evil grin you know and and i mean i mean i'm not saying that all autistics are assholes i'm just saying that a lot of them are i couldn't say i go that far i remember uh when i was maybe 16 years old um i had a friend and i said i I, we didn't have the internet back then and i said where is he from like where do you get a voice like that and this guy just said it comes from being badass and i said yeah okay i can live with that he sounds fucking awesome. Lots of different places. <laughs> He's the anti-maverick in a lot of ways. What is the anti-maverick? Well, in Top Gun, they clearly write a lot of the dialogue so that it's like they write Maverick's line and then they write everybody else's line around it so that Maverick is always the end-all be-all. He's got the ace, queen, king, and jack. Oh, yeah. And- and then um, Connor McCloud is more like, as the kids say, he gives zero fucks. He just doesn't give a fuck. I agree. Yep. Yep. So uh, we'll move on. Uh, I think we spent a lot of time on some like peripheral stuff. that I love that stuff so much. So the quickening destroys all those beautiful cars you talked about? Yeah, but the beauty of it is, is that that's where they save their money, right? So they, they get a garage full of pretty cars, you know. Uh, mirror paint jobs, and then the actual quickening is like all these Detroit beaters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, headlights popping out and t- hubcaps popping off. I, I thought the um, one of the only real sins after that is um, he's driving out of the garage. He's just beheaded Fazul, and the cops like are, they stop him. Obvi- I mean, granted, he is hauling ass out of there, but they stop him, and it's like there is more pigs on that entryway than. Uh, than it, at like a pig farm, man, and they're like are at a slaughterhouse. They are just all over that entranceway, and they all have like revolvers out. They it's are, like, yeah. Like they found out it was a terrorist attack or something. Like whatever lightning attack in the garage that blew up all those beaters. Somehow, Connor McCloud gets behind the the wheel of that beautiful freaking Porsche, and he zooms through the garage and he comes out. And you're right, there are like five cops there. They're already blocking the exit. And it's our buddy. Um, what's his name? Uh, oh, my God. He's so funny. You know, you a faggot, Nash? Why, Garfield? You cruising for a piece of ass? So, yeah, he gets, quote, unquote, arrested. And do you remember that scene where he shoves Connor onto his own Porsche? And, and he says, don't move, pal. Don't even breathe. Yeah, what happens is, is that uh, Connor pulls up. and He's almost home free, which would be probably, what, let's say two and a half, three minutes from the time that that lightning happened, which kind of felt like kind of implausible that, that that many cops would be there right away. Agreed. 
And then, and then they're all there, and then they they stop him, they blockade him in, and there's way more than five. There's probably five to six cop cars. Oh, that's what I meant was cars. Yeah, they're like guns drawn, and he's unarmed. So, I mean, I would love to see the uh, you know, I would love to see the press on that if they shot somebody who's unarmed. Okay, and how realistic is it, even back in the eighties, that he would backhand a cop, which he did. Oh yeah, and that he wouldn't he he wouldn't suffer from it. Oh yeah, that's an assault. And then, and then uh, he backhanded the cop. And then the cop, like, basically, like, instead of like de-escalating the situation, just basically immediately roughs him up. And then he backhands him. Yeah. And then they take him in for questioning. Yeah. Which was pretty funny. Yes, uh, we get to the point where he attacks him after he calls him a faggot. He punches him in the stomach and he runs him across the room so hardcore he punches him in the stomach into the wall. The guy flips over, like, oh, fuck. And he's like, you know, they, they all go crazy. And he says, am I under arrest? He's like, not yet. And he's like, well, then I'm leaving. And he just leaves. <laughs> like, 1980s, man. 1980s. The 80s. I'm the protagonist. You pick up the bodies, man. Yeah. No, I'm just fucking out. Done. That's Deuces, bitch. And you know what? Like, the, the best part of that scene is when they, they show him Fazil's sword. And he's like, do you know what this is? And he looks at it for about 45 seconds. Yeah. And then he looks up and he's like, a sword. Oh, I got so good. And he says, "Wise up, smart ass." <laughs> I just i i thought that was i thought that was actually quite funny. I was I, like, oh. I've googled the words Toledo Salamanga broadside, which is the name of that sword, worth about a million bucks. <laughs> it just brings me back to Highlander references. But I'm like, is the Toledo Salamanga broadside a real sword from the past? It's not. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not even Spanish. <laughs> Well, I don't know where Fazil is from. Uh, it sounds... Well, well, Toledo would be in Spain. Right. Toledo Salamanga. Right, sure. Yeah, I don't know. No clue. Okay, so what's cool is he... The police station's over. They flip to the Kurgan driving in a car. And I love this part. It's the radio broadcast, right? And the woman's approximately saying, like, we found... The, you know, the police found this man next to his own head... And they still don't know his name. And it was just such a great scene. Because all you hear, you, don't, you haven't seen the Kurgan's face yet. But all he says is, I know his name. And then he pushes the cassette tape in. I was going to say the cassette. And it goes, click. And then starts it with more Queen. And the song was, Gimme the Prize. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene. I, I like that. I like that little bit of cin- cinema. What was your favorite scene in the movie? Oh, my Lord. Um, my favorite scene might be, oh, yes, of course. It's the part where uh, he and Castigier are back in England. Um, and I think it's the 18... Or it's probably the late 1800s. And he's it's insulted. Yeah. yeah it's he, sorry, go ahead. I said it's a duel in 1783. Yes! Was that 1783? The duel as well? Because 1783 is when the Magolfia brothers went up in their first balloon and when England recognized independence of the United States. If the duel was then as well... Well, then I don't think the writers were trying very hard to differentiate years. But The Duel, it's fantastic. I'm sorry I called your wife a bloated warthog, and I bid you a good day. After Connor is stabbed like 18 times by those puny little swords. Yeah, I I actually recently got a book called Gentleman's Blood about The Duel for reasons that aren't associated with the movie. And it it turns out that The Duels were were not uncommon. They were not mostly, 80% of the time, they weren't even fatal, but they were not uncommon. It was like, oh, 
you know, you said something? Oh, well then, you know, rather than, you know, being like walk away or, uh, you know, the, you know, words mean nothing. They fall upon the ground. In those days, it was like, oh, you said something? It was like, well, then we have to go on this field of battle and at least risk our lives to show that we're no, we're not punks. All right. Well, it would have been a good time to live if you were badass at something. And, you know, um, I recently was reading about, you know, we all know the story of Aaron Burr and all that. But we uh, have these... Hamilton. What's that? Federalist Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, we had people who were, like, elected that had uh, dual people murdered them and got off scot-free. Jackson bragged that he had been in over 20 duels. There you go. Like, just killing the fuck out of people and still just doing his thing. Jackson didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose Andrew Jackson. Exactly. All right, so the Kurgan's in his car. I know his name. Badass. Uh, Clancy Brown. He's one of my heroes of all time. He was a beautiful fucking bad guy. They made sequels to this movie. I'm not going to get into But in every single sequel, they could never, ever get back to the badassness that was Clancy Brown as the Kurgan. And that may have been their downfall. Well, no, their downfall was that in part two... They made it that the Immortals were aliens from the planet Klug and just stupid shit. And somehow got Sean Connery to be in that one as well. It was fucking horrible. I don't, I'm never going to talk about it again as of this point. Unless you say something that really demands I say something. It was so fucking horrible. We're only talking about Highlander. Anyway, the Kurgan was so beautiful. Beautiful dude. Um, big and he's just... I love uh, what um, Ramirez said. That, you know, he comes from these, the, 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 from Russia and they, they would throw babies down into pits of hungry dogs to, to fight and, you know, all this stuff. It's like savage, savage people. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Kurgan, Clancy Brown, first of all, he's still a badass. I mean, he was in Starship Troopers all those years later as drill sergeant. And he was, he's just, he's just an impressive man. With a, uh, he's like I said, like with uh, in the last podcast with Peter Weir and um, a few other faces like John Voight. He just he's just got a face where, no matter how nice he is, you're probably always going to have that reptile brain going. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. And uh, he he's he's an impressive man. I, I feel like his acting was limited, but his role was limited. He's more like the Terminator in the original Terminator movie. Not a lot of lines of dialogue. The depth comes from his presence, right? And he's like, he's he's the very like he's the epitome of Lord Acton's uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. He's the most powerful, and he acts the most belligerent. I agree, and but I don't agree with the acting because I've seen him in a lot of other things. He was in Pet Cemetery, but he was also in this weird like, I think it may have been pre Sci Fi Channel or it may have been the beginning of Sci Fi Channel, but he was in this like Earth Two or something like that where he grew a beard. And he had gentle hair, and he just played a nice guy, and that surprised the shit out of me. That said, um, I never actually watched. I watched like two scenes from it, and you know, back in the day, and I thought, oh, Clancy Brown's in this, I should watch it. And the show was so shit, I never got around to it. That said, um, yeah, if I would have watched it, maybe he was the bad guy and he killed everybody, but I don't think so. I think he can play both sides, and I recently saw him pop up. In something, he's playing like some military dude. Maybe The Walking Dead, maybe not. Something like that. One of those popular shows right now. He's back again, and I love it. I've always loved Clancy Brown, 
Kurgan is the ultimate bad guy. I feel like he's better than Darth Vader, you name it. Any of the the cheesy, typical antagonists of the 80s, the Kurgan always reigns supreme. Hey, I'm Candy. Of course you are. You know, he played it up, which may be your point. He was so cheesy, but he was so good. Yeah, you know, I feel like, uh, again, we come to the, the idea that, you know, he's he fits the role. He's got a role. It's like Tex Cobb, you know, that guy that we watched in the in the last movie. Hells yeah. It's like, that's his role. You know what I mean? That is who he is. Um, and he plays it beautifully. I mean, it's it's almost like he doesn't have to act. I mean, he's a he's a he's a massive man by any standard. So you know, and if you have any kind of an attitude or an ego, and you're that massive, I mean, yeah, you can play a pretty good uh, heel. You oh, know? I'll buy that. Okay, so the scene scene transitions in the movie. I put a note in about that. They were cheesy but fun. You know, like the sunglasses and the we're in the parking garage and we suddenly are in um, nine. 1600 Scotland and blah blah blah. There were a ton of those. Like they zoom into eyes and they just do weird stuff. It's fine. Um, we go back to we go back to Scotland, uh, the Isle of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Sean, and uh, Sean fucking Connery shows up. How badass was that? That makes the movie. That, it does. I mean, the first. I mean, don't get me wrong. The first few sequences are good, but the sequences between when Sean Connery's not in the movie and before the ending are not nearly as good. No, there's like the sex scene. He's having sex with Brenda and she says, do this to me forever, love. And he's like, I will. And then a horse jumps fucking over them and it's Sean Connery. He's not a cock block. (laughs) No, he waited. He waited like a gentleman. Yeah, he's a... Yeah, and uh, you know, I, 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 at first I was like, oh my god, they're going to make Sean Connery an Egyptian slash Spaniard, but Sean Connery in his youth had so much swagger, you know, it, even though you knew he wasn't Mediterranean, his mannerisms, I mean, he was like the token metrosexual of their time. Oh, fuck yeah, he's dressed like that, and he says, my name is Juan Sanchez Villalopos Ramirez. Ramirez. Chief yeah. metallurgist to King Charles fifth of spain and i'm at your service and you're like what you're like sean connery has fucked a lot of badass mediterranean pussy he was pretty badass he looked so good his stupid fucking outfit i just i I remember the first time i watched it as a kid i thought why is he dressed up like that but i was so just like this guy is the best listen if i could dress like that right now i would (laughs) It's not even a joke. I would no. totally dress like that. No, you can never like, do it. Sean Connery owns the fucking rights of being the biggest badass of all time. He's the most gorgeous man that ever lived in gorgeous town. I think he is. Okay, so... Too much handsome cream. That's he what he comes and he leads to maybe the greatest training montage of all time. Mm, no. What's better? We'll get into that. No, okay, no, we're doing it right now. They're running down the beach, and he's feeling the horse next to him. I mean, yeah, yeah. The elk. The Thank you. The, the stag. stag. The stag. He's feeling it. And they're fighting at the top of, like, some fucking rocky cliffs, and one of them loses their sword. It was Ramirez. but Yeah, and then magically he gets it back. I mean, that would have sucked. I'm sure he just jumped off. He's immortal. You know, he got it. And, yeah. Either way. Okay. I'd be like, what if you're a bitch, dude? You're going to make me jump this, jump off of here. Throw it out there. I can't think of a better training mon- montage. Uh, I think the training montage from the 80s in the movie Kickboxer 
was better. Ah, whatever. What's wrong with you? Anyway, it ends with, We are the same, McCloud. We are brothers! Yes, it was just beautiful. I felt like the presence of Sean Connery, because I know him as James Bond. Of course. Right? You had James Bond as a Spanish-Egyptian teaching a French-Scottish guy to be a badass samurai. I mean, there's a lot of complexity there that's both contradictory and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get that from Kickboxer. No, no. No, you're not. Because uh, those movies were not ne- nearly as intellectual. <laughs> but the idea is that I, I felt like the the only thing I the only plot hole I mean there were plenty of things that you could nitpick but I felt like why was Ramirez really there especially if he's getting ready for the quickening oh because he knew he could not beat the Kurgan ah he knew he couldn't and he had to find gentle spirits like himself that may be more badass than him he'd been around a long time and he knew he almost got it. He cl- you, are, you are the perfect person to do this review with. You know that. He clipped his throat. He, he, he knew. He almost had him. He almost had him. Yeah, he almost had him. And that would have been a surprise even to him because he knew he couldn't take the Kurgan. You know, even like trumping his own spirit, he said the Kurgan is the perfect warrior. Yeah. You know, he described it. Like, he's fucked. So, yeah, what's better than a fucking angry Scottish guy that's banished from his village? First off, I'm going to teach him what he is, and I'm going to teach him he doesn't have to use this heavy fucking super, like, bashu sword. I'm going to give him a slicing sword that that awesome Japanese daughter of Iromoto or whatever came up with. I know that's not it. That's a sad, sad change. Yeah, but that wasn't anticipatory. I think he just wanted to teach him how to fight. How interesting is it that... The sword styles are so different. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, why would you have a samurai sword? It makes no sense. In fact, I think the movie ignores the fact that samurai, in general, the katana uh, is meant for slashing and cutting and not bashing. And they never really play with that because it's a movie. They're like, okay. That's why you have, like, the perfect swords like the gladius because – the Gladius is both designed for slashing. Okay, so when you fight people who are who wear who are like um, poorly armed, you can slash. But when you fight guys who are like in mail, you right. Point. Yeah, it's completely point. different kinds of battle. But, like you could you, not take a samurai sword out on the battlefields of Scotland and win. You got all these guys wearing fucking badass chain mail, and they got their. I don't know about that because the average person didn't have a lot. I mean, it wasn't uncommon that peasants had, like, sharpened sticks. Oh, sure, sure. But, you know, at the time, they thought about, I need to poke past chain mail into your guts, not I need to gently slash your your flesh, as the Japanese did. I think it depends on who you were fighting. So if you were fighting, like, an army full of peasants, then you were fine to slash. And also, peasants weren't as as well-trained. So they fought a lot overhead. Mm-hmm. You know, and overhead people fight with a vulnerability to slash. Whereas, like, trained fighters strike. And so the that's why, it really, the Roman gladius was really kind of the, the dominant weapon for as long as it was because it was a point, it, it, could, it was versatile. It was versatility. I bet that. Yep. 100%. The, the, but the, but the, uh, the nobility or the wealthy people in, you know, feudal Europe they learned to fight 
with, uh, like you say, with broadswords. Yeah, broadswords are weird to me. I mean, like, if every, if you almost have to stage it. All things are equal. We're all going to have the same armor, and I'm going to have this heavy fucking sword, and I'm either going to gash your guts, or I'm going to fucking slash down on you heavily on your shoulders or head. And, Technique, yeah. And re- yeah. I guess, I mean, ultimately, I've never studied um, battle in those times, the 1600s, 1700s, but I would have had a little guy out there with a knife just going around fucking cutting Achilles heels and stuff, just going crazy, avoiding the heavy swords coming down around him and just quickly going and stabbing people in their, uh, you know, under their kneecaps and stuff. Um, You know, I think the, uh, the British had it right. They're archers, so they use uh, archers are relatively cheap. Yeah, their archers had uh, bows, yeoman archers that were had uh, a specific, that could pierce through an ash tree, and ash was like the hardest of the deciduous trees in the region. Mm-hmm. And um, there was the Hundred Years' War that ended with uh, uh, like a very outnumbered British army full of archers taking down uh, plate mail knights. Uh, French knights, and they did it with archers. Mm-hmm. And I feel I feel like World War One is really, in a lot of ways, reminiscent of that. Like you know, we have artillery. Yeah, artillery changes the the nature of war. You you don't just charge artillery unless you have a death wish. And I feel like that's the same thing with uh, medieval wars. And you know, if you were if you had good enough archery, and and archery was a relatively cheap innovation. But uh, yeah, I I, I, uh, I I thought the I thought the movie I I think uh, the movie there's there's another scene I would have cut from the movie and it's not because of the idea it's because of the way they ended it and it's the scene where he is in the bar with uh, Rachel oh sure so and- he he orders Glenn Morangie on the rocks which I thought for the longest time was the coolest thing and I would order that same thing at not bars. A very- yeah, it's good. well. It's not a good scotch, and it's also a a Highlander would never have had a scotch on the rocks. Yeah, give me a fucking break. Yeah, and I mean it's not very good. I mean I've I've had Glenmorangie, and I was like, mm, eh. well, I and mean, he says in particular Glenmorangie, and I've looked it up, and I've seen a lot of people say Glenmorangie. I'm sticking with Connor McLeod. Sorry, even though he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I'm going to call it Glenmorangie forever. I mean, it's it's, it's a low-end scotch, and it, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, you can taste it. You can taste, even though it's single malt, you can taste how it's not very, it's not very well done. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so, and then he, uh, and then they have a scene where he meets the Corgan, and they have, a, like, a pseudo-duel, and then it ends Yeah, with, Brenda oh, shows up. Yeah, and she helps him. Wait, so, so she shows up first. You know, sneaks up on him outside of the bar, Brenda, and she's just like, you know, sneaking on. He fucking gets behind her, holds her mouth, and says, "Shut the fuck up." She's like struggling. He's like, "Fuck off." He turns and says, "What the hell's going on?" Right at that point, the sword comes in, and it's that big broad sword that the Kurgan has. Wham! Doesn't kill anyone. He pushes her out of the way, and then they have the mini duel. Yeah, and then he he's almost bested when she helps him. And then, um, and then the the magically, as if almost as if they read the script, a helicopter crew shows up, and with a spotlight, what are they going to do? He's immortal, right? 
Yeah, they both run, and yeah, we're and not gonna. Like, hey, wait, wait, where are you going? And and how did the helicopter know to run in that little, varied industrial alley? Yeah, so Brenda came to the garage of Madison Square Garden, and she pulled some metal fibers out of a wall so she could test them. And she's about to find out after this date that he is somebody who's been using other people's identities for years and years. But she knows that. But she knows that that source from 500 BC, and the technology is not in the archaeological records. Yep, and she has her own book. The metallurgy of sword making. Okay, so have you ever actually spied on a girl's house or apartment on the on a first or through fifth date? I would say I've never done that. Me neither. I've read literature that says that you should. <laughs> Apparently, one in four women are on uh, antidepressants in America. They really dig it if you spy on them and figure out what they're doing before you have a date. Checkmate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that, that was the host of my favorite scene. Uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought it was cute. Um, and especially when he, he's, he's, got the, uh, he's got the zero fucks attitude autism thing going on. And he's just like, yeah, I got you a present. Oh, that was so good. He gave her her own book. Because she was like, I work for the Met in acquisitions. And he's like, yeah, right. You know, yeah, right. I, I I know who you are. He isn't a dumb shit. Yeah, he's like, oh, I brought you a gift. Oh, for me, she says. And then she opens it up and she's like, oh, it's my own fucking book. But that's preceded by the, she was going to go powder her nose or whatever, right? So Nash is in her apartment. Yeah, and originally she had left her purse in his office to take Frank out for uh, lunch. And she went and checked his his notes. Yeah, so she got that stuff. So she yeah, so he comes in. She's like, "Oh, I just need to like put on my earrings or whatever." And she goes away. And he's standing there and he looks down to the street and he sees a cop car. He's like, "What the fuck?" And when he opens, I mean, just smart man. He's been around for hundreds of years. He just looks at a few things, right? Opens this up, sees a recording, recording everything they're saying. Opens a random drawer. There's a a 45 in there. Yeah, it's awesome. And then Brenda comes back and and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, I got you something." And uh, she and you know they're talking, and you know he, she's already lied to him, so he already he's already <laughs> lied to lie. So it's it's more like at this point it's being cute, you know. And she opens up uh, the the very the very tight but cheap tissue paper and opens up her own book on the history of metallurgy. And, and it's just like, she's just pissed, and, and then he calls her out on everything that he spied on her for. And I was like, man, I wish... Oh, it was so good. I have, to, I have to call it out. She looks at her book, and she says, you bastard. And then she looks at him, and she says, what are you going to do? He said, the question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn off the tape, or are you going to shoot me with the forty-five? And she just fucking goes crazy. Oh, she's trying to turn off the tape and pulling the bullets out of the forty-five. And he's like... Yeah, you know, like, you suck. Down on the street, are you going to call one of your cop friends up here? She looks out the window. She didn't even realize they were looking. Ah. Oh, shit. And we missed something. One of my favorite scenes. I love the Cassidy scene. One of my favorite scenes is they're having that scotch from 1783. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, it was beautiful, right? Because, you know, uh, so let me tell you, in the version you watched... 
versus versus the um, the theatrical version. So he says 1783 was a very good year. The, it's Brandy. Yeah, it was Brandy. Thank you. It wasn't Scotch. It was Brandy. Uh, the McGolfier brothers went up in their first balloon, and England recognized independence of the United States. What's different about it uh, between the two versions is in the version you watched, which is the only version, again, we can find, he says 1783, you know, and she says, wow, that's old. <laughs> like, right over the top of him. Like, they just cut that out of the, the theatrical version. They're like, oh, fuck. If we could just yeah. shut up Brenda for a little while, and they just cut that Brenda, out. <laughs> Brenda, stop emasculating him. He's, 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 he's reminiscing. Right. He's just like, ah, oh, yes. Brandy. She's like, mmm, Brandy's good. Yeah, I like it. It's funny because 1783 is the year that they recognize our independence, and, and uh, 1891 is the actual year that the Constitution goes into effect. And uh, the uh, the second thing I was going to say was, um, you know, when uh, when he's when he's dealing with her, uh, there's like a there's I don't know I can't put my finger on his facial expressions, but he's just he's imp- he's impervious to everything she does. He's there as a joke. Yeah. If I mean, you think about how much later it is that he actually comes out to her, I'm Conan McLeod, the Clan McLeod. Born in you know the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Lachian, and I'm immortal. That whole thing, that's finally when he's serious. This whole thing, he's just being a dick. Yeah, and I like that. I like that about Connor. And he was willing to just blow a bottle of brandy from 1783 on her, like and- for the joke, like so he could give her her own book and be an asshole. Like he knew he would never have wrapped that book if it wasn't coming in to just be like, "Fuck you." So yeah. not only am I coming in to say fuck you, but I'm bringing an ancient fucking bottle of brandy I'm just going to waste on you. And in, yeah, the, in the real version, you're saying, that's old. Like, it's like when you know you're right. You know? <laughs> totally. He's just like, yeah. oh, How's that crow taste, Brenda? And then uh, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, one of the things I admire about Connor that I, I wish I'd done when I was in my 20s was to kind of in, investigate women more. Uh, I know... With a couple of my exes, I should have been more attentive and mm-hmm. more. And Connor is just like, even though he's the anti-maverick in the story, he's just he's got that pinned, you know. He's bulletproof yep. when it comes to ladies. He's no Achilles, you know. He's got no heel for the ladies to get to, you know. He uh, he just he's bulletproof. There's no chink in the armor, and he he examines her, and despite the fact that you know he could probably seduce her. Yeah, you know, even though it's probably been centuries since he, you know, since he, you know, got laid, he just is so bulletproof. Who knows? I mean, he's had so many identities as uh, the antiques dealer down on Russell Street. I'm sure he brings people in all the time. Check this China out. (laughs) Wink, wink. And they're just like, oh, and plus, you know, the accent can't beat that. Service rendered. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I, w- I won't spend a lot of time. Um, there was the Nazi Germany scene, which is fine. That's gone. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is after they go in and talk to the uh, gun nut, the meathead, and they say, what happened between Castigier and this guy? Because they still think it's Conor McLeod. Yeah, it's sh- PTSD, yeah. Yeah, and they show him. They say, is this the guy? And he's like, no. He's a fucking monster with a scar on his neck. And they're like, oh, shit. 
they get outside and they're standing at the hot dog stand and there's that funny guy. I think I don't know if he runs the hot dog stand or if he just is like selling papers. But he's he he's giving the cops shit and it's one of my favorite yeah. scenes. He's like, uh, what does incompetent mean? And yeah. they they're kind of ignoring him. And uh he says like uh Oh god, what was the second part? What does incompetent mean? What does what does baffled mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very nineteen eighties to have like smart ass smart smart ass black yeah. um newspaper oh. sales guy fucking I with mean, the police. The, on the Fazul death uh, investigator Frank is like, Oh yeah, he came unassembled. You know, I mean like <laughs> yeah. there's just a lot of smart ass dialogue. And I mean it, it's 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 unrealistic in the fact that most people aren't that witty. But it's beautiful. Yeah, I remember know. there was another like comment about smooth shave about his head being chopped up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean it's just like it's brilliant. It's fun. you know that somebody who's who is very literate and who writes for a living wrote that dialogue. Fuck Whereas yeah. they kinda of tone it down, you know, and they have multiple people write the same person's dialogue. It's why we're only going to have things like the Avengers from now on and Guardians of the Galaxy. We'll never have another Highlander. They can't. Uh, I, I've got a question for you at the end of this about that. All right. But, we'll, we'll, we'll finish this up then. So, so the Kurgan comes and he grabs her. Whoa, and... whoa, 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 whoa. You're passing the second best scene in the movie. Oh, please. The beautiful sex scene. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, my nipples were hard, man. And then like the next morning he's like, so we can only be friends. I'm like the thug. The, he didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose Connor McLeod. <laughs> he just he just literally had some of the best sex I've ever seen on TV with this girl, and he's like, you know what? I we're cool, but uh, yeah. Oh, listen, you know, I have a complicated I'll, life. I'll, I'll, I've got shit to do all over the place. I'm sorry. I gotta find the next Brenda. So I was just like, man. Connor McLeod, you cold, cold motherfucker. Cold motherfucker. Okay, so the Kurgan swoops her up, and he starts playing chicken. Of all things, you're this immortal dude. You've been around since before Connor McLeod. Should have um, cut that scene. What's that? I was seeing they should have cut. Yeah, so he's, they're just driving, and <laughs> it's showing how crazy the Kurgan is. He isn't just the most badass guy of all time. He killed Heather and destroyed their house, and you know, killed Ramirez, he's just, and he killed Castagir. He's just fucking terrible. We now need to establish that he's also just a plain old, regular modern-day psycho that likes to drive and play chicken with old people and young people so we can finally get to the major setup at the end. Yeah, this movie could have been a tight 90 minutes and been really brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So then we get to Silver Cup. It was like, Silver Cup, yeah. It's like the... You know, Empire State Building of wherever we need of to. Dago. Yeah, right. We need fucking Connor McLeod up there with the Kurgan chopping down the letters because that'd be listen, cool. Listen, first of all, that that ends that last twenty minutes of the movie is when the movie is equal in brilliance to the first thirty minutes. Okay, so don't think that I don't believe that. I just thought the Silver Cup thing was a gimmick, and they played it up, but they did it. We have electricity going everywhere. We have a badass battle scene between the Kurgan and Connor McLeod. Swords going crazy. The ultimate line of all time. So they, they fight, fight, fight. Water's going everywhere. All the letters are falling down. They fall through the floor into a new level. And this level somehow doesn't have any of the water. They're just going to go ahead and fight dry, which is great. Bam, bam, bam. The ultimate line. There can be only one. 
Yeah, you know, I think um, to get more micro in your macro view there. Please. I, I want to I wanna, I wanna go back in time to that club, and I want to do the drugs that these writers did when in the bathroom with mm-hmm. the loose women that they were doing drugs with. Yeah. When they were, you know what's going to be great? We're going to have a rooftop scene with a scaffold, and then we're going to fucking have it be like a water scene. Yeah. With electricity. And you know what? If you told me that, I would have been like, dude, we're doing drugs together with women of the night. Yeah. Because I could not imagine how you could make that scene and make it grip it. Listen, is there any way we can make it so they're fighting and eventually the floor falls out? They fall like, I don't know, I want to say eight levels down. You're on a rooftop with three feet of water. No, no, I want you just to fall and then I want them to hit hard and just just keep fighting. I mean, when they got on the scaffold, I was like, oh, this is unnecessary. It's <laughs> yet, and yet, defying all logic, not only does the fight scene work, but then they're like in three feet of water. And they're, and it's like, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost like that movie Anaconda at one point. And there's electricity going on. Yeah, I love that part. They fall through the floor. And then when they fall through the floor, it's like, oh, you know, this is it. You know, it's, it's. It's barren. Ooh, it's one of my favorite things. It's almost, it's like typical samurai thing. It's the way Connor, he's learned, you know, he does his sword a different way. He's going to hold it up above his head with the blade up. And he looks so badass. So it's, it, it, was, it was literally the same exact thing as the swan kick from Karate Kid. It's the 80s thing. You're right at the last minute and the good guy's gonna do something interesting and he wins the day like if connor just would have held his sword normally and been ready to fucking slash his neck off it wouldn't have been nearly as effective as him doing cool guy thing you know he holds it above himself and he holds it out like as an extension of himself with the blade up high and they're not bashing each other anymore they're doing that fighting where you run past each other and see whose blade's gonna cut so of course he chops the Gurgan's head off. Yeah, I was going to ask you in that CGI part of it, because I, I, I know you're you're like you're very, like you're very exacting, and you you have a spotlight brand for sure. And uh, I wanted to ask you about the sequence when the Gurgan dies. Yeah, so he stands there and he's looking normal and he looks a little happy, and then in a really shitty like we didn't have the money to do this. His head flips back and the electricity goes crazy. And then we have what I call the super quickening. Like, because I guess it's the final one. Windows are going to blow out and it's going to be bigger and more fucking badass than anything. But it looked terrible when I was 10 years old, 12 years old, whatever it was. And it looks as terrible today. It's like a frog is coming out of his neck as his, his head falls backwards. It's just fucking terrible. Well, I, I wanted to ask you because I know you're very literate in not only the source material but the the um, the sequels, and I wanted to know like so there's like this there's a there's this ethereal like spiritual aspect to every death. So I was curious, like you know, at the end when there's like almost like a dare I say it like Luciferian or demonic or evil looking spirit. And it all kind of like sums up into Connor. Like, I was curious. Like, is it something where the the Highlanders share the same soul? Like, they're all packets of the same soul. And now, because preceding the death, he can have children and he can die. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. 
Like, so what he got was, you know, the gift. Like, he he won. He got the prize, is what they called it. And the prize included, of course, being able to have children. But it also meant that he was, like, super metaphysical in some crazy oh, way. No. That he, Yeah, he could, like, understand people of different temperaments. And he could c- cross boundaries of language and all of that. But up to that point, so if you ask my opinion, up to that point, it was, like, I don't feel like you were inhabiting. You weren't. You were getting power. Were you getting like power that makes you better? I'd say no, because the Kurgan had killed way more immortals than Connor McLeod had. In fact, I can't think of Connor. I mean, he killed very few. So I don't think it was a culmination of how many people you killed that would give you the ultimate power. I feel like that was implied at one point by Ramirez. It doesn't matter because they didn't play it up. Connor beat the Kurgan in a plain old fucking fight. There was no magic. If if the Kurgan would have started doing backflips or something, or Connor, right, because he killed the seal, if he would have started doing backflips, I would have been like, all right, we've just muddied it all. So they battle. Cool. He wins. Uh, I don't think... I think the electricity was more of a general thing because what it... I, I think the super quickening, as I called it, is the super quickening because he's winning the prize. Not just killing Fazil and blowing up headlights or when the Kurgan killed Castagir, blowing up some shit in the alley. Like he's finally getting the super reward. It's like when extra um, fireworks go off for something, right? Like let's say Mario. Get to the end of one level. Next one, you get to the big one. Like extra fireworks. The, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, in the light of... They're remaking everything. I mean, because they need titles that people can recognize. So uh, do you think the movie will be um, remade? Or do you think the movie with Jet Li, the one, kind of stole its its potential thunder? I love your question. But um, about five years ago, maybe four years ago, they planned another remake. So first off, the last sequel of Highlander was only maybe... 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less. It was terrible. They tried to cross over the TV show with the original. I, I consider anything that still has Christopher Lambert in it to be associated with the source, so it was fucking horrible. So they planned to just reboot the whole thing, and what they called it at the time, and this was multiple blogs, and I think even the people who were dreaming it up, was something kind of Twilight-style, because that was so popular. They were going to have like gentle, beautiful men with perfect six-packs and pecs, and they were just going to do the story again in some cheesy fucking way. I don't know. Fortunately, it didn't happen. Fortunately, somebody said, this is a waste of money, because it would have been, right? Like, who, who wants to see Highlander again except me and you, not, you know, a 16-year-old girl? I feel like um, if it were like... Uh the original Predator movie or the Watchmen or the recent uh, box office hit Deadpool where you have people who are passionate about the story wanted to reboot it. I'd be, I'd be pretty cool with it. I think they could make it more about, I, I they could add more nuance to the origins of the Highlanders. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be open to it if it was just like, well, how much money can we make by making it PG 13? Right. It's so tricky because they did a sequel about, four years after, maybe even just three years after the original, and fucking blew it away. What made Highlander wonderful is 
it was obscure. What are they? You don't yeah. need to explain everything. That ruined it. Well, let's make them from a different planet. We'll make them aliens. And no, you fucking dumb shits. Like, yeah. I would love to go back in time and go into that room where those guys were chatting about what they think they can do. They're going to get Sean Connery back and they're going to get Christopher Lambert back. And I would love, you and I could just go in there. Just like that scene from, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Dogma. We just beat the fucking shit out of them all. You know, I, I mean, I've never been more aroused. Than I... <laughs> you kill me. But yes, just go in and we beat them until they can't think anymore. There's never a Highlander 2. There was never a TV series. I mean, Highlander 3, they had Mario Van Peebles. And I love the man. He was in another movie with the Christopher Lambert. Uh, it was called... Beautiful. Uh, yeah. yeah, go on. I think it was called Assassins or something. Anyway, it's badass shit. I love them as a as a couple, and I love what they did. Leave Highlander the fuck alone. It's beautiful because it's mysterious and interesting, and it encompasses so much cool shit. You do you never needed to explain a fucking thing. I so, if, please go on. I just want to ask you: Would you recommend this movie? I love this movie so much, and all I have to say is. If you finish it up, you'll feel a sense of the mystery of the prize. The prize is the ultimate thing he got. The There shouldn't have been a sequel because the sequel would have been Connor McCloud fixing the world with his newfound powers. He's this immortal that's lived forever, and he now has this gift of helping people understand each other and having children. He, and he's mortal. He's going to be the greatest. It's Gandhi. The sequel to Highlander was Gandhi. They just fucked it up a little bit, and I don't know. I, I can't even imagine you would have come up with aliens in a dark fucking... Uh, they had, like, this jail around the Earth to stop the sun from burning it or something. I don't know. It was fucking terrible, man. Somehow I knew you'd give the most brilliant answer possible on that question. You were too kind. And you? Um... What was well? First off, I we've talked a lot about me. What was your favorite scene? Oh, I, I've already covered it. It was the uh, the scene where he pulls out the forty five. Yeah, good. I love oh, it. That, that that made me smile. That made me laugh so hard. I mean, I, I can't. I I'm smiling right now. It's so good. And would you suggest this movie to someone else? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're if you're older, uh, rewatch the movie. Uh, if you're younger, you know, uh, do me a favor. Uh, go on your shelf there because, you know, you live in the time of participation trophies and grab all your participation trophies and bust them on the curb in the gutter outside your house, okay? And then I want you to take some gasoline and I want you to pour some very cheap gasoline on them and drop some matches on them. No matter how young you are, drop a match on it, let it burn, and when it's about to die, I want you to miterate on those participation trophies that are broken and burned in coals and embers. And then after you piss all over those trophies, I want you to, I want you to let the rain take those trophies into the gutter to pollute the ecosystem, because in the end, there can be only one. There can be only one. I mean, it just, it just, it just runs in the face of the new, the new era. Like, yeah. There is no such thing as participation trophies. There can only be only one. So I love, I love what you said there. Um, 100%. And then also, I do feel like you were channeling a little bit of Grand Theft Auto V's uh, station 
uh, set up mission of the the um, prison the prison break heist. Yeah, exactly. Burning I don't, the... I don't. I don't actually burn the cop car anymore. I usually get into the uh, the getaway car and I I make sure that the that the convertible top is down, no matter what the weather is. Mm. You have to burn the cop car. You know, I'm I'm out of a level where I don't have to do anything. I'm just making. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't, you can't leave. Like you've got that mm. shitty car. Why do they give you such a shitty car? You've done all this hard work, and they have the worst car sitting there waiting for you. It's inconspicuous. Yeah, yeah, sure. They don't want to give you Reshkovsky's freaking awesome, what's it called? The Costco? The Costco. You know, I have a Costco. It's white with red rims. It's not I good. Know. <laughs> I know. I, I, don't, I, don't mind. I don't mind red in it. It's not a bad car. Yeah, no, it's not a bad car. I love the, I love the sound of the engine of the Costco, yeah. as you know. The firing order is pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. Yes, you told me that once. It's the firing order. That's what I'm hearing. It's that, whoa, it's that rough sound it's i i loved it since the first time i stole it from that uh container ship and drove it all the way up to uh to sandy shores yeah that's how you know eventually as you get older and you know your family your daughter moves out you'll you'll eventually get into end up with like a an original corvette yeah yeah you love the sound of it okay so you asked me i'll finish it up with uh the ultimate ending to any film i can think of is the power to understand all people and to be mortal after this battle throughout centuries, the end of Highlander. It never did anything else. He's all-knowing. All-knowing. He, he's got it. He's going to help Kim Jong-il and, or, <laughs> or, or Un understand, I don't know, um, any, whatever. You get my point. I don't give a shit. I could care. I could care less about making people in this world understand, which is why I would never be the Highlander. And they didn't design it that way. I didn't live centuries to be, you know, conflicted. Obviously, he lived centuries, and he was very upset about the way people on Earth were speaking with one another and understanding one another. So, yeah, one of the one of the subtle nuances of the story, if you're not sold, is that in the beginning of the movie, when they flash back to Connor. Um, even up until the time that he understands that he's immortal, is how innocent and sensitive he is. And by the end, by the time you actually get him to him in modern times in 1986, he's very jaded. You're right. He, he was so sensitive when he was young. You're right. And they're going onto the battlefield and they're making the jokes about pee in the kilt and all that stuff. And Connor was just this fresh-faced little goober. Yeah, with a with a with a Julie with some big old titties. So Lee, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, again, I can never do too many of these. It's always so much fun to talk about awesome cinema like this. I mean, a movie so dear to me. Um, where can people find you out in the big wide internet world? Uh, Matthew, first of all, I, I want to thank you again. Um... I always have a, a profound respect for the way that you see the world. Um, I'm, I'm always really impressed with the how succinct you are. And um, I'm really thankful that I get the opportunity to share these cinematic experiences with you. Uh, if anybody wants to follow me and see the absurd shit that I say, uh, they can follow me in Twitter at Hooked, which is spelled Hotel, Opera, Uniform, Kilo, Tango, underscore, Uniform, November, Underscore Foxtrot Alpha November India X Ray Sierra. 
Yeah, hooked on phonics. I like it. That's really clever. Yeah, you know, I like to think that I'm the I'm the I'm the Joe Bag of Donuts, the unwashed masses, mm-hmm. the John Q. Public. But you also have a very hard Twitter idea. I appreciate you going to such a length to make sure we have it down. Uh, well, you know, so follow, yeah. yeah, follow Lee where you can. I am uh, easier than that. I am at Evil Twin Ghost. You'll find me there and on uh, PlayStation Four and. Uh, you can also find us both easier than trying to look up Twitter IDs by just heading to uh, analogmayhem.com. That is our parent site where we post whatever we happen to be working on, which really is 100% right this second, Cinema Bushido, near and dear to my heart. But uh, you can easily go there and figure out the same stuff. So thank you so much for listening in to a badass talk on Highlander. Okay, so... Uh... Coming up in the next few weeks will be a uh, a political podcast, um, probably three drink minimum. We're, I'm not entirely sure on the title or Thirsty Camel, uh, but uh, essentially it's gonna. I'm gonna have a uh, a very uh, famous author um, in the in the realm of politics from a right wing perspective, uh, and we're gonna discuss news on a weekly basis. And he's all in. And he's very he's very brilliant. He's worked for like the NSA, the World Bank. He's an engineering guy, uh, and uh, you'll you'll really appreciate his perspective. I mean, he's a he's a brilliant man. Um, I'm not I'm not, I don't I'm, I don't have any real uh, alarming traits that are so brilliant, but I, I do have a, a trait or a knack for collecting brilliant people like Ghost. And uh, if you hear this podcast and you like what you've heard from me and Ghost. Um, from like a cultural perspective and from a uh, from a movie perspective, then you'll like what Jeff Wright has to say from a political perspective. And uh, whether or not you agree with him is entirely up to you. But uh, I think you, you'll find that it's edifying. And uh, in 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 the lives that we lead, you know, to be edified is 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 the rarest of commodities. Thank you very much, everyone, for uh, listening in. Uh, I appreciate uh, you, you know, interjecting what you think of what we had to say and uh, commenting and letting us know what you think. Uh, our next one is all lined up. It's going to be a badass film. Follows perfectly with the cinema Bushido. It is a beautiful film called Bloodsport with good old JCVD, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He is one of my favorite people of all time. And there's nothing quite like seeing him having uh, sand shoved in his eyeballs and him holding his hands palm outward as he goes crazy screaming to go ahead and uh, battle Bolo Young. So that's going to be fucking wonderful. Thank you all very much, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. So everybody, uh, thank you for hanging in this long. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Uh, and we will see you uh, soon with Bloodsport. And remember these words, Kumite. Kumite.